0: And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word today. Let me start by saying that this passage of Scripture is one of the most controversial, misunderstood, twisted, misinterpreted, distorted... Taken out of context verses in the Scriptures that the church faces today. Can anybody agree with that? It is. It is. Because it has a lot of things in it that sound really, really good. Taken by themselves can really mess you up. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to truly try to find the truth concerning this passage of Scripture. Many denominations have come from how people have interpreted this passage of Scripture whether rightly or wrong. They, they, they have branched out and become something that they shouldn't be because they take something out of its original text and they make it something that it's not. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you today to ask yourself certain questions that pertain to this verse with as much unbiased opinion as humanly possible. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do that. Is our traditional view as Christian Baptists right? Don't answer. These are, these are questions that you don't, I don't need answers for. I want you to ask yourself. Is our traditional view as Christians... Christian Baptist, right? what do we believe on baptism? I'll show you what we believe on baptism, and, and I'm going to go through it very quickly. It's, it's an ordinance of the church, and we have looked at that before, so I don't have to tarry too long on that. We believe baptism to be an ordinance given by Christ to show the spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit that has, been, that has happened to us on the inside. Everybody in agreement with that? The Spirit has washed us clean by the blood of the Lamb on the inside. And so the baptism that we experience, the actual baptismal waters, is an outward expression, is symbolic of what has happened to us on the inside. We agree with that, right? We also believe that this is our great profession of faith. It is not just confessing Jesus because talk is cheap, especially nowadays. But it's actually professing him from the baptismal waters. This holds a lot of weight. It's meant to. We also believe that it should be done with urgency once a person understands what it is. This is their first act of obedience unto the Lord because he's told us to do so, to make disciples. It should be done with urgency. Now let me stop for just a second when I say urgency. I'm not talking about someone that is saved and they don't understand what baptism is. And they have no reference for it. The people here in Acts in chapter 2, they had a reference for it. They understood what he was talking about. And this is why 3,000 were added to the church in that one day. Yeah. Now it is vital... That we explain and that those understand what baptism is. What they are signing on with Jesus with. What, why, why are they doing this? Who are they doing it for? Have they, been, have they been shown that they have to do this? You know, there's a lot of questions that we have to ask nowadays because we don't have the axe at our head, do we? No. They, they then have the axe at their head. They were being punished for being followers of Jesus. And that great profession of faith baptism was something that could have got them killed. In other countries, it still is. In our country, not so much. So, when it comes to baptism, yes, we need to make sure that that person is truly a child of God. To make sure. We show this in baptism. We, do, we, we show Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. Yes. When we trust in Christ, we're washed clean, but it also shows that we have died to the old man and been raised to the new. Am I right or wrong? Amen. Right. We do not believe, however, that the temporal or that the physical waters hold any healing or saving power. Do we agree with that? Yes or no? Okay. Now we have to prove it. It's not enough just to say, okay, I believe that. Because there's a lot of people that can do that. There's a lot of people that can say, oh, I believe that because that sounds right. I believe it because, you know, tradition has always taught me that. I believe it because dad said so, or mom said so, or my grandfather taught that, or my uncles teach it. You know, it's always been a part of our family. I don't know why we do it, but I believe it. That's not enough. Especially when we're surrounded by heresy that teaches otherwise. We need to be equipped to be able to understand And to teach baptism correctly. We have to. Is our traditional view accurate? Do we believe it because of tradition? Or do we believe it because we truly understand what it means? And can testify to it with scripture? Can we properly explain and teach this passage to someone else? Or are we left like looking like a deer in the headlights when somebody says, no, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus to be saved. And then you say, but my tradition teaches me otherwise. And you don't have anything else. We have to be equipped to understand what God's Word says. Not just one verse, but multiple verses. Multiple places in Scripture. And we're going to use multiple places in Scripture to do that on this particular topic. Now you know that I'm not a topical minister, I go verse by verse. But we are going to camp out on 38 for the next three weeks. So get comfortable for the next three weeks. Listen to what it says. Acts 2.38 If preached simply by itself... If that's all that we had, and it was preached simply by itself, without any other scripture, we would all conclude, if you picked up the Bible, and that's all you had, just one verse, we would all conclude that a repentance and physical baptism go together to obtain salvation. Because that's what you see in Acts 2 and 38, left by itself. If that's all you had, you would conclude that they go together, physical baptism, repentance to obtain salvation, and that the name of Jesus Christ must be said to receive the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins. These are things that you would conclude. These are things that you would say, oh, I see that, I understand that. But the good news is that God has given us 66 books to understand And so we use Scripture against Scripture, not Scripture against our own thoughts and tradition. Let's use Scripture against Scripture and see what it says. But if we were just to take that one verse that so many people have done to fit their agenda, that so many people have done to say, this is what I believe, if we just take that one verse... It sounds an awful lot like a conditional view on salvation. Let me explain to you what I mean. I do this to obtain that. I do this to obtain that. That's conditional. That is not biblical. At all. Not biblical at all. However, it is a very popular view today in many churches across the globe. We see conditional promises in God's Word. We see them in the book of Psalms. If we act a certain way, we will receive blessings of a certain kind. We see that in the book of Psalms. But here in this text, this is not to be conditional. And I just want to give you a spoiler or Spoiler alert. Those that believe that this plus this equals salvation, you're wrong. Amen. According to Scripture. You're wrong according to the entire book of Galatians that we just went through. Remember, we must use Scripture to prove our belief, not our tradition. We must use Scripture. Galatians in chapter two, and sixteen. You don't have to turn there because it's literally the entire book. Uh, it, it's about circumcision and and not being circumcised, and those that were and those that weren't being saved or justified by faith. And it's just Paul goes and he goes on and on and on. We went over this about this very topic, and I honestly got so tired of of going through it in the book of Galatians, that I was just like, my goodness, he just will not let this go. Uh, But Galatians 2 and 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. By the works of the law. This becomes law when we say that we have to do it in order to be saved. And we are not justified that way. And that's what scripture teaches. Justified just as if we never sinned or deemed clean and deemed pure. Yet we know that a person is not justified or deemed clean and pure just as if they had never sinned by the works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And Paul goes on and on and on and he doesn't stop. This carries out through the whole tenor of the book of Galatians. All the way through it, it carries it out. Galatians talks about circumcision, and circumcision didn't save in the Old Testament. Listen to me. Circumcision didn't save in the Old Testament, and it didn't save in the New Testament church either. What was circumcision? C- circumcision? It was a sign of an inward cutting of the heart. This is what it showed. It was a sign of the inward cutting of the heart. The circumcising of the heart came from above, and it still does. The outward symbol has changed, however. It is not circumcision anymore, but it is baptism. Baptism shows what the Lord has done on the inside. Paul, in his argument here to the church tells them that they are not justified by any workings of the law, but rather faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So how does that pair up with Acts 2 and 38? Seems like there's a contradiction, but there's not one at all. Not one at all. This is why we must look at all of God's Word, not just one verse. If you put Acts 2 and 38 on the front of your vehicle on a license plate, it would suggest that you're looking at one verse and basing your entire theology on that one verse. Sorry, but that's the impression that's given. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Some teach that baptism is critical for salvation, which is kind of a two-part, two-step song and dance that that is just, it's, it's crazy. Faith and repentance plus baptism with complete submersion saves. This is called baptismal regeneration. People teach this. I have people that are very close to me that teach this. And the reason why I'm so passionate and giving so many illustrations about baptism and what it means and salvation and what it means is because when you go out and you ask the average Joe to prove to me that you don't have to be baptized for salvation, they'll give you one verse. You know which one it is? The thief on the cross. Well, he wasn't baptized. We're going to get to that here in just a little bit. But it's called baptismal regeneration, and it is wrong. It is not accurate. It is not biblical. Amen. And we'll use, uh, we'll use Scripture here in just a moment to do that. Some teach that faith and repentance with complete submersion must be done with certain words attached to it. Now this one is really bizarre. With certain words attached to it to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the gift of the Holy Spirit will not come unless a person is properly baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what some teach. I just want to throw this out there for those that believe this. Remember, when a person is baptized, they are not doing it themselves, are they? Someone else is doing it. Someone else is doing it. So let's look at the other person in the water the one baptizing and speaking the words that are supposed to be said with Jesus' name. Let's look at that person for just a moment. Because so often we forget that there's another person in the water that they can't baptize themselves. Amen. So let's look at that person. If salvation truly comes, if the Holy Spirit truly comes by them speaking certain words, then let's look at that person that's speaking those certain words. Let's look at it for just a minute. This would suggest that the words of a pastor's mouth could bring the Spirit down or keep the Spirit from regenerating a soul according to that doctrine. Are you following me? If they say, in Jesus' name, and it has to be this way for the Spirit to fall, then you are giving that one person the power... To regenerate a soul or not. That is heresy. Absolute heresy. It would be mighty cool to be able to do that. To be mighty cool to say, Holy Spirit, come save this person right now in Jesus' name. And it happened. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Just think about that for a moment. If if a pastor or someone baptizing could call on the Spirit, and the Spirit come at once, simply by using Jesus' name, then I guess he could also call Him off at once? Is that how that works? Simply by using the Word? The last time I checked, the Holy Spirit is not our errand boy. To be bossed around. He is God and He goes wherever He pleases. John chapter 3 and verse 8, when Nicodemus is speaking to Jesus, Jesus tells Nico this very clearly. Very clearly. The wind blows or the Spirit blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Then you have those that believe in going ahead and getting it done when they're first born. Let's go ahead and get them sprinkled or or christened when they're first born because you know that's really going to work. I saw a, a Catholic priest one time. Since COVID happened on YouTube, it wasn't, it was Facebook. On Facebook, I saw a Catholic priest christening a child while the parents were holding it with a water gun six feet away. I really thought that would bring a laugh to somebody. (laughs) That is stupid. There's nothing biblical about that. Nothing about infant baptism? Right. Nothing. There's another, another view that we don't see a lot around here but we do when we go back home and that's those that can lose their salvation. They believe that once you're saved and baptized that if you sin bad enough you can lose your salvation without asking for forgiveness, you can lose it. Without asking for forgiveness, then you can lose your salvation. But once they repent and once they ask for forgiveness, then, then they can come back into the fold and be restored. And be restored to the church. Having their salvation acquired back to them Again. But yet they don't have to, or not are not required to be rebaptized. With this view and this scenario, it's based solely on works, and it would suggest that baptism means absolutely nothing at all. And we know that's not true either. So we have all of these different views, and we have to figure out what is right and what is wrong. So with unbiased hearts, let's use Scripture to examine these questions and find the true answer. This is the first question and this is what will follow through the next four or three sermons. And this is how I'm going to break this down. Pay attention. Is water baptism essential for salvation, regeneration, being born again? You don't have to answer it. We believe that, it's, we believe that you, you don't have to be baptized to, to be saved, but we do believe that it is critical. We do believe that it's critical to do, okay? But for the sake of the church and for the sake of God's Word and the different denominations, we're going to go through this, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start in the Gospels with Jesus and His teaching. Okay? We're going to start in the Gospel with Jesus and His teaching. We're going to move to the book of Acts and see Luke's account. After that, we're going to go to the church in the letters and see Peter and Paul's teaching. Because I want us to be able to fully understand why... We believe what we believe. Yes. And we're not going to use one verse to do it. I don't think so. Don't work that way. We're going to use God's Word to do it. So, if everybody's ready. <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm just getting started. First question. Is water baptism essential for salvation, regeneration, being born again? No, we don't believe that it is. First, Jesus. This is about Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is very important that you get this. You understand this passage of Scripture. We know what it is. It is the Great Commission. Everybody knows it, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Turn there with me. I love to hear pages turn. Please do this. If not for anything, just to humor me. Matthew 28... 18 and 20. Or 18 through 20. There's some, there's some words here that I want us to mark down. There's some words I want us to underline. If you get a pen or whatever, you'll want to do this, and I may not get through all of this today, but it's, it's, it's worthy to consider. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is written to the Jews. By the way, Luke was also speaking to the Jews in the book of Acts. Yes. Matthew, or Levi, is speaking to the Jewish people here. This is the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus, we find him saying this in 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, pay attention to what he said, all authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the first thing he says. I have all power. It's all been given to me. Go make disciples. That's the first thing he says. Go make disciples. Of all nations. Then he says this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first thing I want you to see about this passage of Scripture is that these are Christ's words. He tells us very clearly to baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So why is Peter doing it contrary? Well, he's really not. Peter is doing it the way that he's doing it in Acts chapter 2 because the people knew who Jesus was and they hated Jesus. Remember, they crucified Him and they nailed Him to a cross. Yes, yes. And so Peter's not going contrary to what Jesus taught him. He is wanting them to clearly identify who who they are saved by. Yes. The second thing, he ties, this passage has nothing to do with salvation. 18 through 20 has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with discipleship. Listen to what it says. He ties together, what? Baptism with discipleship. Also, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them. You see that? He goes now into teaching, teaching them. So we have making disciples, baptizing, teaching to observe all that I have commanded you. This is not about salvation. This is about discipleship. What Jesus is doing is tying baptism and discipleship together. Baptism and discipleship. He is tying them two together. Do we see that? Baptism is connected here without, without question and without a doubt. Baptism is connected to discipleship, to God's teachings, to His commands. It's not about salvation, but rather because of salvation. We see it? Yes. The reason why Matthew is saying this, what Jesus said here in 28, is not about salvation, but rather because of it. Yes, amen. So we, we have to understand that. With this great profession of faith, who receives the glory? Well, we see the whole, the whole trinity here does, right? In Matthew 28. Remember, I've told you before that it takes the whole trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to save one person. You see that all the way through the Gospels. You see it in the New Testament. It takes the work of God, not of man, to save a soul. And so here in our text, we see all glory given to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The second example is this, Luke 18. Turn with me to Luke 18. Use your Bible, come on, or your phone, or whatever, your tablet, or whatever you got. However you do that, I like a hard copy personally. (laughs) Um, They tend to always be there and not go dead on you. Luke 18, 11 through 14. Remember, this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus here. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector. Listen to what it says. Luke 18 let's just 9 through 14 he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that were righteous and treated others with contempt this is the parable he told two men went up into the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of, tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Why? Because he was broken over his sin. He beat his breast is what it says, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What happened? In verse 13, we see, we see this man. He is repenting and he is turning, even though that his eyes he could not even look up. His heart was turning towards the Lord for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. This man went away justified, and the Pharisee did not. And there is not one mention of baptism in this text by Jesus. Not one mention of it. Listen to what it says. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He acknowledges that he is a sinner. He acknowledges that the Lord is the only one that can take that from him. And in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, just as if he had never sinned rather than the other. The only baptism that we see in this passage of Scripture is the internal baptism that happened by the Spirit of God washing him clean of his sins. Remember, we have to use all of God's Word, not just part of it. We're just talking about Jesus here. Let's turn to Luke and 23 and I'm going to end with that because my time is truly running out. Luke 23... The reason why I'm giving you so many examples. The reason why is because I want to equip you with God's Word so that you may better understand what God's Word says as pertaining to Luke, or Acts 2 and 38. This is the third example, Luke 23. 39 through 43. This is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. One of the criminals in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Now, and this, is, and this is what people say, this is why they use this one, but this was not part of the New Covenant, that's what they're going to say, and so it was still okay that he didn't have to be baptized, and blah, blah, blah. But we're going to get to that later when we go through the book of Acts, and then we go through the letters to the church. Listen to what it says, and they all harmonize perfectly. Luke 23, 39 through 43, this is what it says. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God, he says, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? He said, All three of us are sentenced to death. And then in verse 41, he confesses that he is guilty as charged. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He says, But this man has done nothing wrong. What's taking place in this, in this thief on the cross heart? He was a thief. He was a sinner. He rightly judges his own self and knows that he is guilty. But what's taking place? What's going on here? Verse 43, 42. And he said, Jesus. What happened when he said this? He he was, he was he was he was turning towards him, wasn't he? I doubt even this man could even raise his head. They were so badly beaten and bruised and, and broken that they, he could probably even not even raise his head. But I can see his heart turning towards him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's he doing? He's acknowledged that he's a sinner. And he's looking to the only one that is able to save him. Verse 43. And Jesus said, and and he said to him, Truly I say to you, today... You will be with me in paradise. This thief on the cross, this man died on the cross. Justified. Do we get that? Justified. Washed clean. Just as if he had never committed a sin. Or never committed the sin that put him there. He was condemned to die and born again on the same day while being on the cross. Yes. That is crazy, but it's true. Yes, amen. He realized he was a sinner. By faith, he believed in the only one that can save him. And he was washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Yes. This thief on the cross. Jesus says, you're going to be with me today. In paradise. I'm going to end there. I have a couple of more examples and I have some other things but I don't want to leave off without saying this. Baptism is very, very important. We understand that baptism does not save us. But we do understand that baptism shows that the Lord has saved us. Do you know how awesome that is? That for 2,000 years, God's people have been identified through their great profession of faith by entering into baptismal waters, being put down, and being brought up to show what Jesus Christ has done in their life and what Jesus Christ done on the cross for us. You know how awesome that is? That's wonderful. It's great. Yes. And so, with that being said, you know, I, I don't know who the Lord regenerates and who, who He doesn't. I can't, I can't tell that. I'm not a judge of man's hearts but I will say this. If the Lord has saved you, you need to count the cost and take this serious. Baptism is to be done out of obedience to Jesus Christ. It doesn't save. But when you are baptized, you are identifying With Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, you're identifying with what He has done on the inside. Where you've been justified and washed clean by His blood. And you are testifying to the world and to the church that's around you. That you have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So baptism is absolutely critical that we do, but it's not for salvation. It's because of salvation that we do it. And so we'll finish this uh, we'll finish this later. My time is, has run out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.